0: I have been assigned um, with the saying, today you will be with me uh, in paradise. And uh, I can think of worse uh, scriptures to be assigned. Uh, this, is, this is a pretty good one. I'm pretty excited about this one. I'm pretty excited that this is actually a saying of Christ on the cross on that horrible day. Today you will be with me uh, in paradise. And so we're going to go same chapter as Brent. 23 of Luke, but we're going to back up a little bit. We're going to, we're going to come in in front of that. And uh, what we have here, just for you know, context, is um, we have a public exec- execution going on, just like Brent said. We have a crucifixion being held against three men who had been tried and who had been found guilty of capital crimes worthy of death. Two of them, according to Matthew, for the crime of thievery, and then one under the Jews, basically, for blasphemy. And the Gospel of Luke gives us a little bit more of a peek than the other Gospels um, into the interaction of these three men as they hung there dying uh, together, being put to death. And so starting in in, in Luke chapter uh, 23, uh, verse 39 we, we read one of the criminals who were hanged, railed at him, being Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we're receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And then, Jesus, uh, and then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says to him, truly, I say to you today, you will be with me in in paradise. And so the first thing that stands out in these few verses is the contrast that we have uh, between these two thieves towards Jesus. And and so I want us to kind of like look at this briefly so that we can feel the full weight of what's actually going on here. And so enter thief number one. That's what we'll call him, and, and uh, for the sake of e- easy referencing, we'll, we'll just call him the thief to the left of Jesus. Okay, because left is always bad, right is always good, right? I, I don't know where that came from. i have left-handed. I've heard all my life that that's weird. Uh, but just for the sake of like continuity, so that none of us get confused, the bad guy's the left guy, and the good guy's the right guy here. Okay, and, and and the guy on the left, thief number one, the guy hanging to the left, uh, he's not holding up too well. This this guy's not doing very good. He he's not a happy guy. Uh, He's not a sympathetic guy about what's happening. Uh, He's not, I think we could say, a repentant man. There's There's no contrition going on. There's no humility. This dude's angry. He's mad and yet he doesn't seem to be focusing his rage and his anger at the ones who are performing his crucifixion, at the ones who have actually put him there, but rather he's focusing his anger on Jesus, on Jesus. Verse 39 says that he railed at Jesus, which means to utter abuse, to utter abuse, which could include cursing. And certainly antagonizing, like we see here, and mocking, like we see here. See, he's mad at Jesus for what's happening to him right now. At at someone who had nothing to do with the actions that got him there. He says, are you the Christ? Save yourself and and us. He's antagonizing. He's trash-talking, right? With sarcasm, Christ, and the claims of Christ. And it is at this point that we must ask ourselves why. What's this guy's problem with Jesus? What's this guy wanting from Jesus by directing all of his guilt and shame and anger upon him? And I think it's safe to conclude to me what is obvious. This dude wants his current situation fixed, and it's not being fixed. He wants his situation fixed, not his heart. This is self-preservation that's going on here. He's wanting a way out of his current predicament, not a way into forgiveness, reconciliation, right? In other words, he wants his life fixed, not his soul, not his sin. And, And as a result, his response to Jesus is rejection, not reception, and, and what we have documented for us here is a true revelation of his heart. Thus, the eternal, it would seem, state of the thief on the left. Inner thief number two, the thief to Jesus' right. There's a whole different vibe, a whole different vibe coming out of this guy, isn't there? Right? Not only is he not railing against Jesus, he's going to bat for Jesus. He's going to bat for him. He's going, hey man, talking to the other thief, like the one you're ripping on right now is in the same predicament that we're in if you haven't noticed. Like like he's in a tight spot too, right? Only we deserve to be up here, he doesn't. Now, this is super curious to me um, in and of itself that this stranger would be playing this angle and sticking up for Jesus. But it's not as surprising as the bombshell that this guy drops next, as he turns to Jesus and he opens his mouth and he says, Jesus, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, why did he say that? Like, like where did he get that from? And we really don't know how this guy got his theology or why he was convinced that Jesus could help him in this way. But what is clear is that these two criminals have completely different views of who this man was hanging in between them, right? They have two completely different views of who was between them, two different interpretations of him. And it is at this point of the narrative where you and I have to stand back and really see what's going on. Are you ready? Here's what's really going on. Because up to this point, it looks like three guys on three crosses for the purpose of dying. But what we really have is three men on three crosses dying three different deaths. Do you see that there? We have three men on three crosses dying three different deaths. One is dying in his sin, one is dying to his sin, and one is dying for sin. Three men, three crosses, three deaths. And and because the thief to the right of Jesus believes that which he believes concerning Jesus, Jesus responds with the most glorious words, the most glorious words that he could possibly hear truly, absolutely. Without a shadow of a doubt, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. In other words, you're coming with me. You're coming with me. And I want us to consider how. How? I want us to consider why. By, by what justification is this man, this thief, invited by Jesus to come with Jesus? I, I mean, this dude, um, all, all he did was hang there and die. There was nothing else that he could give or do. That's all he had to offer. So, so how is it that in this short moment with these few words, this guy would be granted access into the eternal chambers of God? It almost seems scandalous, in a way, that such a man at the end of his miserable life would be allowed into the eternal presence of righteousness himself. And yet he is. Consider this. This thief has no time to clean himself up. No time. He had no time to be a good person. He had no opportunity to perform any, any good works. He had no opportunity to read his Bible, to know his scriptures, to go out and love others, to share Jesus with others, maybe even to feed the poor. No chance to do any of that. No time to return to all those people in his life that he stole from and that he took from and that he hurt to make amends to say to them, I'm sorry. No opportunity to walk into a church and attend a church service like you and I are doing tonight. He would never be a part of something like this. No opportunity to serve others in ministry. No time to put money in the box. He would never, ever give a penny to the church. No opportunity even to get to water so that he could be baptized. You can't even do that. I mean, there is no moral resume that this man ever had a chance to build or put together to offer to God. Nothing. Nothing. And he, he, he say, all he's able to do is, is hang there and die. Fully broke, fully powerless, fully exposed in all of his guilt, shame, before the world and before God. And Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. This is an amazing thing. How can this be? How can it be that he should receive a full pardon with all the full benefits of a kingdom citizen at the end of his miserable life? Here's how faith alone in Christ alone. That's how. There's nothing else here in this text. That you, that you and I can grab onto or point to. That's all he has. Faith alone in Christ alone gained him entry. I want us to understand that the story of the thief on the cross is not an exception to how one is saved. It is the rule to how all of us are saved. This is what it looks like right here. We all come to Jesus with nothing, and then we leave with everything by grace through faith in Christ alone. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Jesus assures the thief on that day that he was coming with him to paradise, right? Uh, what is this is a, is a good question. And actually, you and I could probably uh, spend hours and hours and hours talking about this because it's so kind of cryptic and mysterious in the Word of God, and there's kind of some different views on this, but we'll try to keep it simple. Um, For many of us, paradise is a tropical beach, right? Uh, I think of Maui. I was there a few years ago with my parents. They were nice enough on their 50th anniversary to pay for me uh, to go to Maui with them, uh, because that's the kind of son I am right? Uh, so, so for their anniversary, they, they were graced with my presence in Maui. And it, and it did feel, it did feel uh, like paradise. It kind of felt like what, you know, people say it is, right? Uh, I think when we think of paradise like that, we think of perfect temperatures, perfect skies, perfect water, perfect sand, perfect palm trees, perfect setting, perfect drinks, you know, like the ones with the little umbrellas in it, uh, and no bugs. Like that's paradise, right? For a lot of us. The Greek word that's used here by Jesus is paradisos, and it literally means a park. It specifically means an Eden, an Eden, and that that probably takes your brain into all kinds of different things right there, which we cannot get into tonight, but go home and have fun with it, right? It literally translates to a place of happiness. It's a place of happiness. Scripturally, we don't have a lot of details regarding this place called paradise that Jesus refers to. But with what little information the Bible does give us, namely actually Jesus in one place a couple chapters earlier uh, in Luke, um, it seems to be a place in which the believing dead or the righteous dead pre-Jesus occupy while waiting for this event, Good Friday followed by the resurrection, to historically arrive. That's kind of where they went. So this is where they were uh, awaiting the arrival of the promised one, the deliverer, the Messiah. It was called paradise. It's likely this paradise is the same place as Abraham's bosom, which is mentioned in Luke chapter 16 by Jesus. Remember the story of the rich man and Lazarus? You'll see it. You'll see it there. It's a kind of a, it would seem, holding tank, if you will, for those who looked forward to the promise, forward to the coming king by faith. And and so what we can confidently assume is that on this day, Good Friday, Jesus the Messiah walked into that park when he gave up his last breath, his final breath, walked into that park, that Eden, perhaps, perhaps, flashing his hands so that everybody could see and pronounced victory over sin, death, and Satan. And this thief, by faith, was invited that day. He was invited there too. Could you imagine what that may have been like for this man when he arrived there that day? Like, he, he must have thought at some point, like, I'm not supposed to be here. You know what I mean? Like, going from where he just was to where he is now, like... I'm not supposed to be here. That's the way I felt just in, when I was in Maui, in paradise, right? Earthly paradise. Like, I remember going through this resort that was just so posh and so ridiculous and so flashy that I thought, like, these people don't know who I am, right? Like, if they did, they wouldn't let me walk through here. You know what I mean? And yet, here I am. It must have been kind of like that for this guy. I want you to think about how foreign, how new, how fresh, how radically different this place would have appeared in contrast to what his setting was like in his final moments of life just a moment ago. Right? It would have been a shock. How many, how many Alistair Begg fans do we have out here? If you don't listen to Alistair, do yourself a favor, go listen to the guy. Like, not only is he a rad theologian slash Bible teacher, but um, his Scottish accent is half of the point. It makes everything that he says and preaches better. So, so go go and, go and listen to this guy. But Alistair Begg tells this, this, this cute little imagining of what it must have been like for this thief when he walked into paradise that day. And I may kind of put my own spin on it, but this is really a, an Alistair thing, not, not, a, not a me thing. So we have this thief, and here he is. He's walking into paradise that day, and he's, he's walking into the middle of the company of the faithful dead. Not the Grateful Dead, the Faithful Dead, okay? Um, Two two different things. And and so we're talking like all the big guys and all the big names and even the names that we don't know that looked forward to Christ as their only hope, right? And so you would have like Abraham there and you would have like Joseph there and David and Isaiah and all these people. Let's just imagine like these guys right here like walked up to this thief when he enters paradise. Like Abraham walks up and maybe a couple of these other guys and they're like, who are you? You know? And he's like, like he doesn't even know what to say. He doesn't even know how to like respond to these guys. And they're like, "What are you doing here?" And he's like, "I don't know. Like I like I I got nothing, you know." Um, and and so maybe they start thinking to themselves, like, "It must it must be what he knows, like what he understands theologically." So like, "What's your view on justification by faith?" Or "What what's your like may, maybe even like what's your view on penal substitutionary atonement?" Since you just like. Had front row seats to it, you know? Uh, like, what do you know about that? And the, dude, the dude's like, got nothing. And they're like, what are, what are you doing here? How did you get in here? And, and, and it, it's possible that in frustration and honesty, he, he finally just gasps and says, All I know is that the man on the middle cross said I could come. All I know is that the man on the middle cross said that I can come. That's it. That's like all that this guy would have to fall back on. And you know what? At the end of the day, that's all you and I have to fall back on too. Like when when we go into the presence of God one day, and it's kind of that old saying like if someone stops you at the gate and asks you why they should let you in, like like this is it. This is really it. The the guy on the middle cross said that I could come because I don't know what else to say. I have nothing else in my pockets that I can reach down and dig out of there and show them so that they'll let me in. I have nothing, and you have nothing other than Christ. That's it. Period. We do not have a moral resume that we can scrape together before or after conversion, but simply that the man on the middle cross said that we could come. And he you know what? He's allowed to make that call. Like, he, he earned the right to make that call. He earned the right, as unfair as it may have seemed to somebody looking on at this thief that knew this thief, maybe it was someone that was a victim of this thief, that's, that's looking and seeing Jesus say, you know what, you're good. You're pardoned. You're coming with me. That could have been disgusting to one of his victims, right? Jesus had the right to do that. He had the right to declare that man innocent that day. You know why? Because what Jesus was doing as he was hanging on that cross was not just dying. He was actually paying out his rights. He was buying, he was purchasing the guy next to him. And you, and me. He was buying the redeemed of God out from under Satan as he hung on that cross. And so here we are tonight, right? A chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, just like this thief, here to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is why this Friday is good. In fact, to say that it's good is an understatement. It's so so weird to me still to refer to the bloodiest, most violent, most horrible, most corrupt, most wicked day in human history and call it good. Like, that's just a weird thing. But the truth is to call it good is an understatement. Because on that day, 2,000 years ago, by the grace of God, at the expense of his son, you and I were granted access into his eternal Eden. Access to the sight of Jesus forevermore. And the only question that really matters in this life, I don't care who you are or if you grew up in church or what you've done. I don't care how far down you've gone. I don't care what flavor of sin you've had or how weighty that sin is. There is only one question that matters. Are you the thief on the left or the thief on the right? That's all that matters is that you answer that. And I would implore you tonight. Do not walk out of here without settling this. Within yourself and before God, which thief are you? Because you're one of them. And Jesus is the one that makes the difference. Have you died to your sin or are you going to die in your sin? Nothing is more important than this. Because the bottom line is that paradise is wherever Jesus is. And if we are to be found where Jesus is, we must come and die. That's what he's invited us to do. That's how we live. We die. We die to ourself. We die to our sin that we may truly live. For those of us who hang to the right of Jesus, you know what one of the first things that we're going to do when we get there is? We're going to (laughs) eat. So you were expecting something more spiritual than that. <laughs> Jesus liked eating. We're going to eat when we get there. We're going to be super hungry, and I hear that the food is going to be really good. And Jesus says that he's waiting for us right now to have that meal, to have that supper in a new way in his Father's kingdom. And so until we get there, Until that moment arrives, we do what we're about to do now, to remember why you and I are granted access into paradise. And it's because of his body and his blood and nothing else.